Welcome to the 1001 Travel Tales podcast, where seasoned travelers share their stories. Your hosts, Shoba George of Just Go Places and Rachel Heller of Rachel's Ruminations. We're talking today with Rebecca Hall of lifebeyondbordersblog.com. And welcome, Rebecca. Thank you for having me. So Rebecca has a cool bio where she gets to live in Greece half of the year. And she also lives, spends part of her time in the UK, her native UK, and then travels around different islands in Greece. Seems somewhat ideal. How did you get involved in that? Okay, so basically, to put the record straight, I spend part of the year in Greece, part of the year in the UK, and the rest of the time traveling for writing for my travel blog. So whether that's within Greece or within my own country of the UK or within Europe or occasionally worldwide, that's what I get to do. I have many different hats. I started off as a teacher in Greece, as a teaching English as a foreign language. I taught that for about, since 2008. I was originally just going to stay for a year. I taught in a small village in the middle of nowhere in the mainland. And then I started to really like it. I was just going to spend a year and go maybe further afield, like Vietnam or Cambodia. But I started to like Greece, so I thought I'll try a second year in Athens. Did that. And Greece was starting to get into my blood. And I started to think, do you know what? I'm feeling more Greek than British. So then I stayed a third year teaching in Athens. And like I say, I just got sucked in, but in a positive way. After about my sixth year of teaching, within that period of time, I had started writing a blog because I was fed up sending my dad emails, just letting him know how I was because he wasn't on Facebook. And I was just telling him about the culture in Greece, part of the places I traveled to that weren't very well-known tourist places. And then about 2012, I started to get some emails from, particularly from the American market, because Greece was hitting the headlines for all the wrong reasons. And they were saying, is it it safe for me to come on holiday? And I was thinking, why am I getting these emails? What are they being fed internationally by the media? And then I started to realize, do you know what? It's not just my dad that's reading my blog. (laughs) So I changed the name changed the domain and I made it into a much more professional look so this is what you have lifebeyondbordersblog.com and since then it's really taken off organically on its own I have people still emailing me predominantly my readerships from the states because I do write about alternative things to see in Greece but when I do go abroad for the travel guidebook company Rough Guide which is my other hat I wear I'm a travel guidebook writer I go to places, for example, in Portugal I updated this year, and I went to very, very unknown places in Portugal, Porto in the north, the Minho region, which is in the far north, and the Douro Valley, which is probably better known. You wouldn't have heard of Minho, I'm sure, and the big, huge national park in Portugal. So predominantly my writing on my site is about places to see within a country, but places you might not have heard of, and places that you might not think to go and visit. And also to let people know and to take you out and do a comfort zone that it's okay to visit a country on your own. It's okay. You don't have to just go on a cruise and feel like you need to be led around and have your hand held. Cruises are great for some people, but maybe just try and come out of your comfort zone a little bit more. Mm -hmm. That's me in a nutshell, really. Yeah, explore some of the local areas. Yes, the real local areas, the real tradition. Now, I'm not going to let you off the hook on something you said before about how you feel more Greek than British. I wonder about that as an expat myself. Okay. What do you mean by more Greek than British? 
first of all, weather. I feel weather really affects how people live their lives, how people feel psychologically as well. And this affects how you feel on a day-to-day basis. You're getting up when it's constantly raining. You're getting up when the weather is so miserable, when it's dark. This really affects your psyche and it affects how you live your life. So therefore, a lot of the culture in the UK is to have an indoor culture. The British people, whilst they are very efficient and very kind, I found it as a culture compared to Greece, it's very difficult to make friends in the UK. It's quite closed. It takes a longer time, for example. It doesn't mean that they're unfriendly. Also, the culture in the UK is more of a drinking and it's more of an alcohol culture. It's centered around the pub. I've never been one who's really been into that, even when I was a teenager. And that was always a little bit difficult for me because people always tend to give you a bit of a hard time. What do you mean you don't want to drink? What do you mean you only want one glass of wine? You go to a Mediterranean culture, particularly Greece, they're quite happy at 11 o'clock at night for you to be sitting there drinking coffee. They're not going to look at you and give you a hard time for that. You want one glass of wine, that's fine. In fact, you drink wine or you drink beer and you automatically have meze say are little bits of food or just nuts or crisps there for you to eat they don't never serve alcohol on its own there is not the mentality on a wednesday to make a plan to go out at the weekend to get drunk now i'm not saying everybody does that but it is more prevalent i think in northern cultures and i find in the uk it was a southern culture of also being inclusive. When you go out, sometimes you find whole families go out. Go into the village square. You go into even Athens and different pockets or different neighbourhoods in Athens. In the squares there, you have mothers, fathers, kids as young as four running around at midnight. What's one of the things I, as a family traveller that I really appreciate about the Mediterranean culture? There you go. We just take our children with us and sometimes they slept in the stroller. Yes. And now, you know, they can hang out, but since no one's getting completely hammered or being ridiculous it felt safe felt felt fine exactly other people had their children it was just a general good time there's not that differentiation they don't say young people have to go to this club older people go to that pub everybody's there together Mm -hmm. and everybody's mixing well and like i say you get four-year-olds out till midnight one o'clock in the morning and people are not criticized for that and at the same time, you're not getting the waiter at the restaurant angry at you because your kids are running around. You can go for one coffee also in a coffee shop and sit there for three hours and just order one coffee. You're not being looked at to maybe look, you've only had a sip 40 minutes later. Come on, you either go or you order another coffee. Yes, the waiters love the kids there too. In the U.S., a lot of that is related to the tip culture. You're just sitting there wasting their time and then they're not going to get much of a tip after your one coffee three hours later. And in fact, in Greece, if you start trying to tip some people, people get offended by tipping sometimes. I mean the people receiving a tip. Sometimes they look at you and think, who the hell do you think we are? We're giving you this service because this is our job to give you this service and this is our pleasure to give you this service, even if they're not receiving a high wage. And I get American friends who I've made who come to Greece and they're saying, how much should I tip? And I'm saying, you don't have to. And they're like, what do you mean I don't have to? It really blows their mind. And for me... It's really difficult when I visit the States. I love the States. I've been to Seattle. Absolutely love the West Coast. And it was very difficult for me having to work out at the end of the night and actually looking at the service I received. I thought, you know what? This service I'm receiving is really only because this person thinks they're going to get a good tip at the end of it. And I'd much rather have a genuine quality service than thinking, okay, I'm going to serve this person well because I need the money. That to me is a really sad, sad thing. I also want to state about weather, about how much this makes a difference to people's psyche. 
is that when you have sunshine, you might be going through a difficult time, let's face it, like the Greeks are, and they are going through a hard time. It's not something you can avoid speaking about because they are. However, it doesn't stop them being human. There is something about people when they have money, and the more money you have, to me it's strange, the less human people seem to be. Human in the sense, the less giving. It's My next door neighbours, when I do visit Greece and spend time there, they don't have a lot of money, they've had their pensions cut, and yet she's always cooking meals for me. She's always coming around with food, every single day. Her expression for me is, you're a writer. There is a Greek expression that literally translates as, you are in your head. So she thinks, because I'm a writer, I am in my head, I might forget to look after myself, so therefore she's going to look after me. That's incredibly kind. I know. And I made the mistake once, very British of me, offering to pay her after she'd done this for like the fifth time, and she honestly looked like I had slapped her in the face. This was one of the things we were going to ask you, was cultural faux pas. There's one of your cultural faux pas. Do you have another one? Yes, in Greece, when I was teaching, you do not want to use the number... I was teaching numbers to the children, so try and imagine this. So with my palm facing out, I'm counting one, two, three, four. When I get to the number five, I'm leaving my palm counting out, and I'm gently pushing my hand. So number one, push. Number two, push. Number three, push. When I get to five and push it, all the Greek children, oh, Miss, and Miss is Kiria in Greek. So they're saying, Kiria, Kiria, stop. I'm saying, what's wrong? It's a very, very bad expression in Greece you are basically saying that you are rubbing something very nasty in somebody's face oh to hold five five fingers up your open hand facing outwards and thrusting it forward in Greece don't do that never ever do that in fact I have a story not of my story but one of my rough guide colleagues he lived in Greece for a while he speaks fluent Greek he was travelling and he was hitchhiking. This is back in the 90s. Okay, he was hitchhiking and he could still hitchhike in Greece quite safely actually. But anyway, he was hitchhiking and this van didn't stop. So he just turned around and automatically just as the van drove and did this palm out expression. The van must have seen him in the rear mirror, stopped, jumped out and the man came up and doshed him one on the face. My friend started yabbering at Greek at him. What the hell did you do that for? complete Greek about turn, so typically Greek and so funny, the, ma- the Greek man said, oh, you speak Greek, oh, I'm very sorry, and pulled him back up, dusted him down, said, I'm ever so sorry, where would you like to go? Come on, sit in the, fi- come to my house first for a... The longer I've been in Greece, and the longer I stay in Greece, and the longer I experience Greeks, it just doesn't surprise me. How long have you been in Greece now that... Like I say, six years teaching, Yes. and now eight years, but on and off teaching, and now as a travel writer. Okay. Now, you also have written a book. I have. And it's called Girl Gone Greek. It is. And tell us how that happened. Okay, so again, back in 2010, I was writing my blog, and I thought, you know what, I want to try and chronicle my experiences. The actual impetus for writing that book was because I was fed up with what I was reading about Greece in the international headlines, and I thought, I'm no political writer, I can't write for the New York Times, I can't write for the Seattle Post, Washington Post, Guardian, Telegraph, I'm not an economist, I'm not that type of writer, but I do have a love for Greece, I do have different experiences of the culture, I want to reach an audience and show them what the real Greece is like. So I do have a bit of a sense, I like to think I have a bit of a sense of humour. So I basically sat down and wrote a semi-autobiographical, a personalised account of my time in Greece. And 
I thought this will probably reach a wider audience because it's more highbrow people that read the newspapers, but this is going to reach a whole criteria of people, a whole spectrum of people. And it did, and I wrote about this character's experiences of teaching in school, living in this Greek village where nobody spoke English, and talking about her experiences there, about the people she met, about how they talked to her, how they accepted her, how some people were a bit wary of her, and basically trying to show the people that buy my book, you know, Greece is not what you're reading in the headlines. This is what you'll see if you go to a remote area of Greece. So it's not just about its aesthetic beauty, it's also the beauty of the people and the beauty of the culture. And I try to do it in a subtle way through writing about honest experiences. And it seems to have worked so far. 2015, in June, it was published. Oh, it's Wonderful. that recently? Yes. I didn't yes. But... Only a year now. Wow. Are you writing another? I had a message to put across, and I had so much energy invested, emotional energy, in that book. I kind of drained myself now. A lot of people have written to me on Amazon reviews and sent me personal emails, and they have said to me, are you writing another one? When's your next one coming out? And I'm starting to feel the pressure now, and I don't think this is the time for me to be writing a second one if I'm going to be writing one just for the sake of pleasing people and getting a second one out. I need to write where I've got a passion for it. I might be a one-book wonder, <laughs> even a wonder, I don't know. I don't know. There might be a second one, but I'm not going to push myself for it. It has to be quality over quantity. I don't want to be a sausage machine. On your blog, you write about interesting places to go that are off the beaten path. Would you like to share a couple of your favorite ones with us? Oh, my favorite one. And if followers of my blog will know this, this randomly, and you're probably going to sit back and look a bit surprised at me, my container ship trip from Athens to Hong Kong. I was a passenger on board a container ship. Yeah, I read that series. It's really interesting. It's something I find I, very... It would be the sailors who work on a ship. Yep. And containers. Yes. And a few passengers. passengers. Okay. They only have about six passenger cabins, but okay. they're not even considered passenger cabins. They're cabins that are not used by senior members of crew. Uh, they no longer have purses on board these ships. So when these ships were built, they probably did have purses. So these cabins are empty, for example. Okay. Why not lease them out to people who want to travel this way? So I travelled from Athens to Hong Kong by container ship. Now, I knew about this because my dad used to be at sea for the Merchant Navy. I do have to stress it's not Royal Navy, it's Merchant Navy container ships. My dad was at sea in the 1950s. He told me, even back then they were taking passengers, except they used to take nuns who were traveling between the African coast. Cause they, so he said, listen, if you really, and he knows that I like alternative methods of travel. He said, why don't you try, if you want to do a trip, look into that. He said, try and use, he's old now, so his expression was, use that internet thingy that you're always using. <laughs> said, okay, dad. I looked up on the internet, in fact, I Googled it and I found an agent based in London and Toronto and they do book it, they're a specialist in it. They book all sorts of trips worldwide. Yes. The cruise people do cruises, they do alternative, maybe like icebreaker trips in the Arctic. They also do container ship trips. So on the container ship, mm, yeah. what was the accommodation like? Was it basic and then did you eat with the staff? Basically I was one of the member of crew, so I had one of the more senior cabins. Okay. It was about 35 square meters. I have no idea what that is in... That's big for a cabin. You exactly. don't get that big on a cruise ship. Yeah. Exactly. And this it's is like again, a studio in New York City. Exactly. And this is again me dispelling more myths. You're very right actually. Four huge portholes, big double bed, small lounge with TV, which obviously didn't work. I don't know why the TV was in there. Maybe in port it worked. For videos or something? Yes. Okay. Ensuite bathroom. And basically, yes, three meals a day. I would 
dine with the senior crew. Mm-hmm. And it was so funny. Whenever I came in to dine with the captain, the chief officer, the chief engineer, and the second engineer, if they were already sitting down and eating, they would all stop eating and stand up. On my trip, the captain was Swiss, the chief officer was Polish, the chief engineer was German, and the second engineer was Polish. Cool. And in fact, at the, by, the, by about the third day, I said to them, guys, you don't have to keep doing this. I'm on this trip for 27 days with you, or 37 days. I can't remember exactly how many. I said, you can't do this every time for three meals a day, please. And they said, okay, you're becoming one of us now. We were accepting you a bit more as kind of one of us, so that's fine. And then were there other passengers? On that particular trip, I was actually the only one. What did you do with your time? People think, oh my God, 37 days, because you don't have internet. There is satellite connection for emails, but not internet, because it's extortionately expensive for the country. Yeah, that's it. Download a load of books on Kindle before you go, or if you go to a port and manage to get internet access when you go into town, just get Kindle books. (laughs) That's why I have a Kindle, it's great for travelling. At that time when I went on the voyage, I was still writing my book, so I had perfect time to actually try and edit it and finish it. So, you know, that just sounds idyllic in some ways. It is. Just almost a month without real contact and people pestering you, and you can't waste your time on the internet, and you have to get down and do some work. Yes, and And you have time to think and reflect and edit. You have to be comfortable with your own company as well. Going up onto the bridge, one of the nicest experiences is going up onto the bridge as you go through the Suez Canal, coming out to the Red Sea. Probably the scariest incidents we had. It wasn't even an incident, it was just normal part of the trip. For 10 days after we exited the Red Sea, we came into the Arabian Gulf. We had to have security guards on board for 10 days because we were around the Arabian Gulf area. Yes, that was a Somalian pirate yes, area. Yeah. So we had one gentleman from South Africa, two from the UK. I'm not allowed to name names. Let's just call them Huey, Dewey and Louie. I used to call them that on the ship. I mean, I knew them and they just laughed. I said, I'm going to refer to you as those three. Very, very, very well-trained individuals. Okay. Very well integrated into the ship's life. You wouldn't even know they were there. Basically, the ship slows down, and you have a, a small speedboat. Huge and Louis come on, and then they exit when they need to exit. Yes. yes. Now, I understand you were writing and you were reading, and that was enough, but... Yeah. Are there any facilities? Is there a lounge chair you can lie outside in? Those sorts of things. I would want to be able to at least get some outdoor air. Well, you have a lounge chair you can take onto your area where you're based on the ship. It wasn't like a balcony, but I had like an area where I could put my lounge chair and sit outside. But do you know what? I was more about, because I like people and I like finding out people's stories, they're never all on duty at the same time. I appreciate they've got a rest. And in fact, I, I just wanted to get to know the crew. Once they got used to me, because the rest of the crew were Filipino and they were really quite shy at first. Once they got used to me, they called me their sister in the end. I know. Once they got used to me, I was invited into their mess area, because they're called mess areas. They would have karaoke almost every night. Filipinos love karaoke, I think. And one of the you join in? Yes, they got me joining in. And tell us your favorite song then. What, oh what? no, they, they they chose it for me. I think was it Bonnie Tyler. What did she sing? Oh okay. Total Eclipse of something. Total Eclipse yeah. of the Heart. So they, they the heart. Made, yes. You had to belt out Total Eclipse yes. of the Heart. They were insistent I did that. They were all Bon Jovi, Def Leppard kind yes, of fans, yes. but they wanted me doing Bonnie Tyler. <laughs> How fun! I know it was, and then there was someone that played the guitar. The captain was. Excited 
exceedingly good. He arranged a barbecue one night. So we all sat. Nice. I, do you know who I think has the hardest job on a ship? And sorry if there are any merchant captains listening to this, is the cook. I think he has to cater three meals a day, the first up in the morning, the last in bed at night, and he can't be sick. How was the food? Fantastic. We would have, say, sometimes calamari. Oh, okay. Oh, we had pork roast, we had beef roast, we had lots of different rice salads for our barbecue. Yeah, the food is much better than a lot of people think. And do you know what? Your average food you would get on a cruise ship. I think a container ship, if you don't want the entertainment of sitting down and watching dancers and you don't need to be entertained, I would choose a container ship to be honest yes. oh, and also they have swimming pool on board they do? Oh, it's not a huge swimming pool it's more like an exercise pool yes, it depends on the ship whether it's outside or indoors mine was indoors and because I'm very mindful of the crew and I was the only female on board I used to wait for a time when it was empty and then I'd go on board and just swim is it fresh water? or it's water yeah. and it's only filled up when you're at sea yeah. Wow. I don't know anyone else who's ever been on a A lot of people say that. NPR, when they interviewed me, said the same. That's why they wanted the interview. Okay. Yeah. I would recommend it. You should look at it. I think it's kind of cool. It's very never, tempting to me. I have never been on a regular cruise just precisely because I hate people trying to force me to be happy. Then and you would be very happy with this mode of travel. And enjoy. Not that I'm a grumpy grump, you know, person, <laughs> but like endless buffets and being happy and cheery and enjoying entertainment with nice and do you want to sit with a stranger for dinner no. yes I know but here's what worries me about a regular cruise and about the one you're mm. describing a regular cruise yeah you're going to end up perhaps with people you don't like at the same table with them. no but I mean people you don't like if they're people you yeah. like I'm a social person yeah. but what if they turn out to be somebody I just don't like yeah. But the same thing could happen in one of these ships, couldn't it? I mean, any number of things could happen. There are a person that th- you just don't I think the with. thing with that is, and that's where the sociology of the whole aspect comes in, it's very interesting. My father taught me a lesson. He says, from a passenger aspect, listen, I don't think it affects you too much because you know you're getting off, okay? Mm-hmm. Also, it's all new, brand new, and interesting for you. It's very rare that you won't find someone you don't like. I think that applies more to these people who work in this industry all the time. Mm-hmm. And my dad came up with an expression. He said to me, do you know what, Rebecca? I learned very quickly when you're on one of these ships, you can't not get on with people because you could be on for a hundred days with these people. He said it teaches you to get on with people. So not from a passenger aspect, but from a working aspect. Yeah. So it teaches you a lot about yourself. My son had recently had a uh, Boy Scout event, and he met a admiral. And the admiral had this really fun fact: apparently, ninety percent of the world's trade is done by sea. Yes. So there are that's a lot. A, of that's these a lot of these ships out there. Container ships with empty yes. rooms. Yes. Well, also in terms of crew and cargo, yeah. there are a lot of people who have done this, and this is their career. Yeah. They've learned to get along with each other. Exactly. So, from a sociological aspect, it's very interesting. So, if somebody had sort of outrageous behavior of some sort, it would have been toned down if they were a person who works on a ship anyway. Well, I guess so. I think you have to be a certain type of person. I mean, you can't work in that kind of environment and not know how to get on with people, really. So, have you done one of these container ship cruises again? I did one in 2010, across to the Caribbean and back again, and then this one was in 2013, the latest one I was just talking to you about. Okay. I would to Hong Kong. Yes, 
And then I flew back from Hong Kong okay. to the UK. I would choose to do it again, but I wouldn't do that route. Maybe I would fly this time to Hong Kong and then go down to Australia. For a newbie trying it for the first time, do you have any tips um, how to pick the right cargo cruise? I would think don't do so many days off in one go and see what route you want to do. Because you've got to understand with these trips, it's not necessarily about the destination, it's the journey. Now, I didn't get that, not do so many days in one go. Do you mean one go where you're not stopping at a port, or do you mean one go in terms of don't take such a long voyage? The whole voyage for me, it would be the latter from what you've just described, because the whole voyage for me was 37 days. For a newbie, you might find that very, very difficult. There are much shorter ones that you can do, which you can talk to the agent about. I am very good with my own company, so I'm happy to do that. And I had specific things to do, and I was very happy with that. But there are some people that it would just drive them nuts. So it depends. If there's a container ship that stops in port and can collect you, and then docks off for the next one, that's great. Because there are some container ships that don't actually dock in a port. For example, in a place called Turbo, T-U-R-B-O, Turbo, it's pronounced Turbo, which is based in Colombia, it's too dangerous for the ships to actually dock by the harbour. So they're actually still at sea and there's pontoons that come backwards and forwards. So if you wanted to exit the ship or join the ship in Turbo, you couldn't. Okay. So there are specific places that you can't join and can't disembark. But there are others, so you'd have to like look at your route. And when they stop at ports, you can get off and go explore a bit? Well, this is what's even better about a container ship, I think, than a cruise. Because I believe on cruises, I've not been on many cruises, but I think cruises only have a certain amount of time, don't they? It's usually yes. a day. The, yes. the usual is they arrive in the morning and they leave in the evening. Some cruises, I think, even have less, like two or three hours, like some of the Mediterranean and everybody cruises. shows up at the same spot at the same time. So like a huge ship with 3,000 yeah. people. There's 3,000 in the local town okay. on the same day at the same time. Well, on a container ship, usually about 12 hours. Depends how much cargo they've got to offload and right. unload. And it depends on their schedule and how behind they might be. So, for example, I was hoping to have an afternoon and evening and then leave in the morning from Barcelona. However, because we were behind, we didn't get into Barcelona until the evening. They worked like mad so we could leave in the morning. I didn't really have time to go ashore. But it meant that in Valencia... I had a lot more time. Okay. So it depends. And the thing to be... And you have to be flexible that way. You have to be flexible because they're not there primarily to cater to your needs. You need to remember that though. That's why when I joined, I kept a very back seat and let them approach me. And it's nice for them to have someone new on board because they must see the same people all the time. And in fact, when I left, the Polish chief officer became a bit of an uncle, very avuncular figure for me. And when we said goodbye, he said to me, I want to thank you for being on board because when we have a female on board, I'm not saying this to be creepy, he said. He said, even if it's the captain's wife or the chief officer's girlfriend or... He said, basically, a female presence changes the dynamics on the ship and he said it changes it for the better. He said, we become better men by having a female on board. And honestly, if I was near tears, I had to hide my face because I was going to blow. And I had spent so long in the presence of these people. It become like family. 27 crew, 37 days. I see. Uh, Long trip. That is fascinating. Something I've actually never considered. But that sounds so cool. I have. I actually want to thank you for following my site because it means at least I've got one regular reader. (laughs) So that's really good. I want to go and look at this blog. I'll read the address again. It's lifebeyondborders.blog.com. It's all one word connected together. Thank you very much for uh, for speaking to us. 
Thank you for listening to 1001 Travel Tales, stories from seasoned travelers. Shoba George's blog, Just Go Places, is at justgoplacesblog.com. Rachel Heller writes Rachel's Ruminations, which can be found at rachelheller.org.